0: Welcome to Swarthmore Presbyterian Church's podcast. This is your host, Alex Evangelista. We are delighted you are here, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You are now listening to a sermon, recorded for December 12, 2021, titled, The Great Equalizer, by Rev. Joy Shin. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, your word comforts and challenges us. It inspires and disciplines us. Help us now to put aside all that prevents us from being readied for your great and liberating works. Amen. In 2020, our nation underwent Mass death, mass protests, hurricanes, wildfires, a heart-stopping election. In the weeks leading up to the November presidential election, predictions were made that no matter how the vote went, violence was going to break out. In fact, predictions about a civil war were made. In the days before the election, store windows were boarded up, millions of people were arming up. This is why in his book, Last Best Hope, author George Packer characterizes the year 2020 as a near-death experience in our nation's history. When in 2020 the virus came to America, it found a country he writes with serious underlying chronic conditions such as a corrupt political class, a sclerotic bureaucracy, a heartless economy, and a divided and distracted public. The crisis of the pandemic, however, had the potential to pull people together. After all, the biology of a pandemic is designed to show the limits of individualism and affirm a truth, our common humanity, Everyone is vulnerable. Everyone's health depends on the health and behavior of others. No one is safe unless everyone takes responsibility for everyone else. No community or region can withstand the plague without an active national government. No country can end it alone. For the sake of our common humanity, people did step up, sometimes heroically, You may remember seeing the ICUs overflowing, the nurses and doctors suited up in protective gear, completely exhausted, their dedication so inspiring that in New York City, residents in high-rise buildings banged pots and pans, cheered and sang out their windows when shifts changed and hospital workers left. Americans became more aware and appreciative of frontline and then essential workers. For the rest of us, just staying home became a heroic act, hard as it was. When news got out that hospitals needed ventilators, General Electric aerospace workers in Massachusetts demanded that their factory be converted to produce them. When the public discovered that in-person and online stores had run out of masks, the people got busy stitching them and distributing them to everyone they could think might need them. Despite the attempts to save our common humanity, the virus nevertheless exploited every fault line, every division of class, race, geography, and politics, every declining social and economic factor, every institutional weakness, every blind spot and bias. Reminding us of all this, George Packer paints 2020 as downright apocalyptic, a massive shock to our nation, calling into question our nation's survival. And yet, here we are in 2021, still carrying on, but not recovered. Still, we are talking about the end of America, just as there was in 1861, in 1893, in 1933, and in 1968. There is today a feeling that America is on the brink at the beginning of the end. At such times of crisis, it's not uncommon for people to ask, who are we? What has happened to us? What do we do now? These are questions that the people in the crowd to whom John the Baptist was preaching all those many years ago were asking. They too were a people on the brink, wondering if this was the beginning of the end. They too wanted to wake up from what they wished were just a terrible dream, the rule of King Herod, who had ordered the massacre of all male children in Bethlehem, levied heavy taxes on peasants, the people who could afford them the least, replaced the high priest in the temple with a puppet priest, sponsored pagan cities, and whose son eventually ordered John the Baptist to be killed. John the Baptist was preaching to a people who thought that the world might be coming to an end, and in their vulnerability held onto any messianic hope that gave them a sense of comfort and assurance. To them John the Baptist preached, wake up, this isn't a dream. The world as we know it is coming to an end. And when the crowds came out to hear what kind of messianic message he had for them, the first thing he said to them was, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist suspected that the people who had come to him, who who had come to be baptized by him, while they all wanted to be saved from their national crisis, brought with them different narratives, narratives about why things were as they were and whose fault it was, and that the different narratives operating among them would cause them to bite each other, spreading toxicity amongst themselves. In the crowd were Jews and Gentiles, Pharisees and Sadducees, soldiers, tax collectors, and peasants, Those who were Jewish, John knew, had been telling themselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, as though their ancestry were some kind of assurance. John knew the Jews in the crowd took a sort of satisfaction by virtue of Abraham in whatever place of religious and moral privilege they supposed they had over against their oppressors. John knew, too, that even among the Jews in the crowd, some Pharisees and Sadducees carried narratives about their merit, their status based on learning and accomplishment. Seeing tax collectors and soldiers in the crowd, John knew that they, too, brought with them narratives that enabled them to make sense of the world around them and their role in it. John assumed that everyone was attached to and had a stake in some story about the state of things, how things could be better, and who was to blame for when they were not. We know that the stories that individuals and groups tell themselves in order to understand themselves, where they come from and what they want to be, are prone to sentimentality, Grievance, pride, shame, and blind spots about oneself and others. As much as we want to indulge our own stories, we must examine them as much as we examine other people's stories. This is, I think, what John the Baptist calls for. He wasn't flattered by the presence of crowds. For he recognized that it wasn't sufficient that they all wanted to be saved. They needed to examine the narratives they brought with them. Because the stories that people tell themselves, especially to maintain an illusion of innocence, are part of the problem. In his book, Last Best Hope, George Packer explores four narratives that he identifies as now dominating American life. I think they will all sound familiar to you. Let me briefly summarize them. First is the narrative that he calls Free America. Free America imagines a nation of separate individuals and serves the interests of corporations and the wealthy. Second is Smart America which views the world in terms of meritocracy. It is the worldview of the professional elite. Third, is real America, which he describes as the white Christian nationalism of the heartland. Fourth, is just America, which sees citizens as members of identity groups that inflict or suffer oppression. These are all narratives that, to greater or lesser degree, have brought us to the current crisis America is experiencing. Do you, for better or worse, carry around any of these narratives? If you're like me, you carry around more than one, and maybe bits and pieces of them all. If someone were to look at only my gender and the color of my skin and hair, it might be assumed that I would want to live in just America. If, however, someone had no idea of how I look and what my last name is, and knew that I grew up in the Bible Belt and that I spent a lot of time in church, it might be assumed that I carry around the story of real America. If someone were to know how many years of my life I have spent at a university, it might be assumed that I would be a proponent of smart America. If someone were to know that I am a child of immigrants who left behind a Confucian Asian society known for prioritizing above all else respect for one's elders, it might be assumed that the individualism of free America would be the story I embrace. The truth is that all four narratives about America have shaped me, and probably you too. These narratives have sometimes taken turns exerting influence, and over time they have repelled and attracted one another, intermingled, overlapped, and affected one another, both in the culture around us and within us. Each story about America responds to real problems that people are facing in this country. In doing so, each narrative lifts up values that the other narratives are lacking and may need. I appreciate George Packer's insight into this. He writes, free America celebrates the energy of the unencumbered individual. Smart America respects intelligence and welcomes change. Real America commits itself to a place and has a sense of limits. Just America demands a confrontation with what the others want to avoid. The truth is that I wouldn't want to live in any of these Americas. In their competition with one another, they have become ever more narrow and extreme versions. None of them are large enough, capacious enough to save America. And certainly none of them can save humanity. For that, we need a much broader, more inclusive story, one in which most of us can see ourselves and will want to follow. John the Baptist knows that if we want to pull ourselves together Truly together as a people of God, we need a larger, more unifying story. It's not enough to rely on any story that allows an illusion of any group's or individual's innocence. No one is exempt. None of us can rely on any narrative other than our common, universally human narrative that of being a sinner and that of receiving God's grace. Whether we are children of Abraham, or a member of the Roman army, or a child of the church, or a citizen of this country, or an heir to vast wealth, or a legacy to an Ivy League school, we are not exempt from God's judgment. So John calls us to make a personal decision, to repent and change our ways each person has to repent and ask, what should I do? Sin and the need to repent is our common humanity. It is the great equalizer. But so is the opportunity to ask, what should I do? And the opportunity to do it. When different people asked him, what then should I do? John the Baptist gave them practical answers, according to their situations and stories. He admonished tax collectors to be fair and honest in their work, which was known for corruption and greed. He exhorted soldiers not to use might and the state's power to terrorize the people for their own gain. He told the average person in the crowd to share food and clothing with people who don't have enough. The truth is that none of the stories we tell to maintain our innocence will save us and restore our common humanity. Only God's grace can do this. Thank God for this. And thank God that here in this season, at the beginning of the end, we can still repent and change our ways. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon, recorded for December 12, 2021, titled The Great Equalizer by Rev. Joy Shin. We'll see you soon, and may the peace of Christ be with you.